I hope you're excited for Family Bible Week, especially you kids, because as you can tell, we've been getting ready for this for a week. We've got the wicked mechanic of the East over here underneath the uh, car working on it, and we've got a bunch of stuff. I don't even know what these things do, but Josh Curlin brought them yesterday. He said, this is what, it makes, this is what makes a, a race car sound like a race car. Am I right? Okay, because I don't know, so I'm going to have to trust you on that. He also brought this down. I guess this is an actual from a NASCAR uh, front end. Is that the right you call it? Okay, front end. Pretty cool. This is our hide the word verse for this week. This, this week we're going to be learning Philippians 3, 12b through 14, and we should read it together. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Think we can learn that this week? I think we can. Broom, broom. Right, that's right. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the first psalm. We're going to take a short break from the Gospel of Matthew for Family Bible Week, this Sunday and next Sunday. Pew Bible, page number 532. In case you can't tell, it's Family Bible Week, and we've transformed our campus into a racetrack and a pit stop garage because our theme this year is drive, pressing on for the prize. I think there's going to be a racetrack down one of the hallways, in fact. Uh, You'll have to find out. Come tomorrow night and find out more about that, kids. Family Bible Week officially starts tomorrow at 6. But this morning, I wanted to tune up our engines to get us ready for the race set before us. So we're going to start with that racing theme this morning. And we're going to get a taste of what the adult class will be studying each evening of Family Bible Week. We're going to be studying the songbook in your Bibles. The songbook in your Bibles. Right in the middle of your Bible. If you... If you take your Bible and you open it like this, what do you find? The Psalms, right. You're going to find 150 songs embedded right smack dab in the center of the Scriptures. And they're called the Psalms, and they're there for you and me to connect with God from the middle of us. Right smack dab center of us, from our hearts to Him. So each evening as we gather as the adult class, we'll be learning how to study the Psalms because they're different from other kinds of writing in your Bible, and how to apply them directly to our lives today. Most of you know that I've made 2019 a year of psalms for me personally. I've been reading and praying and singing from the psalms each morning this year, and it's been really wonderful for me personally, stimulating for my mind and strengthening for my heart. If you've been around me at all this year, the psalms have been pouring out onto you. The elders and the facilities team started the year with a devotion on Psalm 1. The guys I disciple regularly have found themselves being taken back to the Psalms again and again. I've preached seven funerals already this year, and I've read Psalms at all of them. On Sunday mornings, when we haven't been in the Gospel of Matthew, we've been in Psalms, right? I've preached Psalm 15, Psalm 41, Psalm 62, and Psalm 103 after Emily died. Last week, I made a reference to Psalm 118 in Matthew 21. The Psalms are in the center of our Bibles and they are linked to every other part of our Bibles and they are imminently applicable to our lives today. This morning I I want us to just look at the first one, it's short. First Psalm, Psalm 1. And then we're going to see that the psalmist lays out a major choice. Like a fork in the road, are you going to go right or are you going to go left? He lays out a major decision before his readers and he requires them to choose. It's like on your, you're on the racetrack, 
And it's like, okay, do I go right or left? Now, I know on a racetrack, you always go left, right? Correct, right? You you always go left, right? But this is a different kind of race. This is an over-the-road race where you have to choose which route you're going to take. Do you go left or do you go right? I once preached Psalm 1 with the title, Either Or. It's either this or it's that. Like all good wisdom literature in your Bible, Psalm 1 says that there are basically two paths and two destinations in life. Look at the last verse to get this. Verse 6. The Lord watches over the way, the path, the road, the track of the righteous, but the way, the path, the road, the track of the wicked will perish. So that word way there means a path, a road, a direction, a track. And the psalmist says, fundamentally, there are just two roads. And they are not both and. They are either or. You and I are faced with a choice or series of choices that lead up to one big choice. Will we go the way of the righteous or will we go the way of the wicked? And each way, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked, has a final destination. Each path points to a certain destination. Okay, if you get on Route 80 right now, over here, and you go east, and you don't stop, you will end up in Teaneck, New Jersey. Okay? Guaranteed. If you get over to Route 80 and you go west, and you don't stop, you will end up in San Francisco, California. Each way has a certain destination. And the beautiful thing about Psalm 1 is that those two destinations are painted in stark and vivid colors. He tells you where you're going to end up. Now, this is helpful because often in life, the paths are not so clearly marked, are they? Sometimes it seems like the way of wickedness, for example, leads to prosperity. For example, that was Asaph's problem in Psalm 73. He says, why do the wicked prosper? I mean, they got on the road that I thought was headed towards destruction, and they're doing really well. They're just flying along that road, and they're they're getting blessed along the way. So it seems. But Psalm 1 makes it crystal clear where each path eventually and ultimately and most assuredly leads. Psalm 73 does too when you read it to the end. So here are the destinations. Ready? It's either prospering or perishing. It's either flourishing or dying. Or to carry on the racing metaphor for this week, it's either winning or losing in the race of life. Winning or losing. That's what's at stake in Psalm 1. The stakes are very high. Higher than the Indy 500. Let me read to you Psalm 1 all the way through. And then we'll walk through it slowly and try to understand what it means for us today. Keep in mind as I read it that the psalmist is not going to use racing metaphors. He's going to use agricultural metaphors. Garden metaphors. So keep an ear out for that. And then we'll translate it into some racing metaphors to apply it to our life today. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff 
that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Lord, we just sang, all my ways are known to you. And that assumes that we're on this road, this track, this way of the righteous. Because verse 6 says, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Help us to get on that track and stay on that track. Because we've looked at your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You see why I use the word winning? Hashtag winning this morning. Why winning? It's because of that first word in verse 1. It's a glorious word in the Bible. Blessed. Or blessed. Does that word sound familiar? Have we learned about blessing in the last year? Do you remember the Beatitudes? Right? Blessed are the... The Hebrew word behind this word in verse 1 is ashrei. And it's the equivalent of the makarios word group in Greek that is the word behind blessed in the Sermon on the Mount. There's more than one word for blessed in the Bible, but this is the same one, equivalent as the one in the Sermon on the Mount. This is another of the connections between the Gospel of Matthew and the Psalms. Blessed. Do you remember our contemporary word to try to get at the idea of blessed? Because we often don't know what that word means. It was flourishing. That's right, flourishing. Full of life. To be congratulated, to be, to be there, to be in a state which is worthy of recognition. If you are blessed, then you are winning. Not like the world uses that word winning, but like this word blessed. Not at the expense of others. Sometimes when we're winning in this world, other people are losing. This is not that kind of winning. This is just on your own, you're winning at life. The person on this path is being recognized by God as being in a place worthy of celebration. How would you like it if God would open up the heavens right now, look down at you, say your name, and say, way to go. You're on the right spot now. Congratulations on your recent choices. Good job. Good on you. Well, that's what this verse does. Blessed is the man or woman or child who is on this path. You are winning. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to know how do I become that person, right? I mean, I want God to say that about me. Well, I picked up at least three things in this psalm. And they are themes that run through the rest of the psalms, and they also fit with what we've been learning about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Here's number one. I've put them in racing terms. Now, you have to keep in mind, I don't know a thing about racing. Okay, so if I get the metaphor for racing wrong, you can let me know afterwards. I don't think I've got the psalm wrong. Number one, stay out of the wrong pack. Stay out of the wrong pack. Listen to the whole of verse one again. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Do you see how this guy avoids associating with the wrong crowd? He doesn't just run with the pack. He runs out of the pack. Now, as I said earlier, it's easy to race with NASCAR. You just start going forward and then you make a bunch of left turns. I almost titled this message, Keep Turning Right. Because if the world goes left, we're supposed to go right. We're in the world. We're in the same race. But we're not of the world. 
The world goes left. We go right. Now, of course, that means there'll be some danger, doesn't it? This blue car here is facing in the direction of the other cars. That's what happens sometimes if you go, if you keep turning right when they turn left. And by the way, yes, I know these cars are not NASCAR. But the point is not to just go with the flow. Don't just go where the world goes. Notice, we'll stay there. Notice the progression. Walking, standing, sitting. You see that in verse 1? Walking, standing, sitting. It's a downward spiral of giving in to the crowd. Walking in the counsel of the wicked means listening to the advice of the world. It's, it's what voices in your head, right? Who are you listening to? What the world says about what matters? Money, sex, possessions, success, popularity, power, external beauty, what the world calls winning. The blessed person does not listen to that counsel and just believe it. They learn to tune it out, right? Like turning the radio down when you're driving. We don't just think what the world thinks. We don't just get our cues from social media or what is popular. Not standing in the way of sinners means not choosing to go along with the crowd and do the self-seeking sinful things that our unbelieving friends and family want us to do. Now, when you read the NIV of verse 1, it, kind of, it might give you the wrong idea. It kind of sounds like we're stopping sinners by standing in their way. He doesn't stand in their way. Like, okay, come on through, right? That's not what it's talking about. It says, it's basically, I don't get in their path. I don't go where they're going. Do you know that peer pressure is not a teenage thing? It's a human thing. Teens just aren't good at hiding it yet. But adults do it all the time. We care about what other people think. And we go along with them. The godly man or woman does not stand in the path that sinners stand in. So let me ask you, do you stand out amongst your friends because you don't do all the things that they do? Do you look different? Now, I don't mean are you sanctimonious and proud. I mean, are you humble when they're proud? Right? Are you loving when they're hateful? Are you gracious when they're ungracious? Mean? Do you stand out? Do you look different? If I look at your social media, and I scroll through your social media, will it look different from the social media of a non-Christian? Refusing to sit in the seat of mockers means valuing godly things instead of scorning or ridiculing them. It's an attitude thing. In our culture today, there is a cynicism and a disdain for spiritual things, a high value on snark, right? It is cool right now to be a mocker, but the road of blessing does not go through that town. It maintains reverence and respect for God and the things of God. So this is, are you running with the crowd? Are you just going with the flow? The way of blessing says no to the press of the crowd and goes its own way. Stay out of the wrong pack. Stay fueled up on God's word. Look at verse 2. But. Do you feel the contrast? It's a very short psalm. In verse 2 we get this but. But. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now you can maybe see why we're doing this the first Sunday of Family Bible Week. The one who lives a winning life is not, doesn't just not go with the pack, but he slows down and drinks up the Word of God. To use a racing metaphor, he regularly heads in for a pit stop. 
And the pit stop is focused on filling yourself up with God's Word. Now, I know it says the law of the Lord, right, in verse 2. What is that law of the Lord? Well, it's more than just the commandments. When we say law, we tend to think just the commandments. But, but the word there is the Torah, or the teaching. Let me ask you a question. How much of God's Word did King David have? How much do you think King David had? He had the law, right? He, he had at least, and maybe a little bit more, but he, at least he had what we call the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch, or the law, or the Torah, the teaching. He had that. In fact, the king of Israel was supposed to write out longhand his own copy of the law. Have you ever copied out a, a whole book of the Bible? My wife has these journaling Bibles. And she's been taking whatever book she's studying, and she's writing out longhand in her own handwriting, which I can read. I can't read my own handwriting, but I can read her handwriting. The entire book that she's studying on the page facing it. And when you do that, you really get it, right? If you have to write something out yourself, you get it. Well, the king had to do that. King David had to do that. And he is saying that he loved it. The psalmist says that the blessed man will fill himself up with the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. See, that's why we have family what week? Bible week. It's because we want to be winners. The blessed man or woman loves the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. He loves it. Verse 2 says he delights in the law of the Lord. That's a heart word if I ever saw it, right? Do you delight in the word of God? It's not just that he reads his Bible. He loves what he finds there. It's not just that he's disciplined in reading his devotional book every day. I did my devotions. Check. The blessed person delights in the scriptures because they bring him close to God. Now get that. This is not describing someone who loves Bible trivia, but not the author of the Bible. This is some, there's lots of people who have lots of Bible in their head, but it hasn't reached their heart, right? This is someone who realizes that God has spoken and feeds off of His Word. He, he eats them up. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Your words came and I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. See, this Psalm 1 guy is a person who says, what did God say? I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. Tell me what God says. And when he gets that information, he doesn't let it go. That's what meditating is. There in verse 2, on his law, on God's word, he meditates day and night. That word for meditate, it's like a cow chewing his cud, right? Just repeating it over and over and over again. The words of God are rehearsed and turned over on the tongue. Did you ever you have to keep the instructions? Right now, one of my uh, most interesting jobs in life is I'm a driving instructor. My, my middle boy, Peter, got his, uh, he turned 16 last week, and he got his driving permit, okay? So this is the normal look on my face. <laughs> this is totally not true. He's actually, he's actually, in some ways, he's a better driver than I am. Don't tell him I said that, okay? But I'm always given the little instructions under my breath, right? There's a stop sign coming up. Do you have your turn signal on? Are your brights on? You know, those little instructions kind of under my breath reminding him. I want him when he's driving to always 
hear my voice saying, do you have your lights on? Do you have your turn signal on? Have you stopped enough? You know, that's the little voice in your head. Well, this Psalm 1 guy has this voice of Scripture in his head, and he's repeating it all day long. Do you do that? Do you memorize Scripture and you're just repeating it all day long to yourself? You're thinking, the Scripture says this, the Scripture says this, the Scripture says this. That's what this Psalm 1 guy does. Day and night, it says. It means all the time focusing on God's Word. And that's the key to the blessed life, according to Psalm 1. Not giving in to the pressure of the sinful crowd, but making your own way through loving the Word of God. If you love the Word of God, you will choose to not walk, not stand, not sit with the world. The Word of God readjusts your priorities and your values. It becomes the lens through which you view the world, world, the grid that you make all your choices through, the yardstick that you measure the worth of everything by. Does that describe you? Are you a Psalm 1 man? Are you a Psalm 1 Woman, are you a Psalm 1 boy or girl? Many years ago, I was sitting in the chapel at Moody Bible Institute, and the guest preacher for that day was D.A. Carson of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Later, I got to study with him and go to that school. Dr. Carson spoke from Psalm 1 that day on this blessedness of being on this path of being a Psalm 1 man. And that day, I wrote in my Bible. This is the Bible I carried back then. It's right here in the back. Father, give me a hunger for the meat of your word. Make me a Psalm 1 man. That's my prayer for myself. I want this blessing. This is why I've been pursuing being a Bible guy all of these years. You hear me say, turn in your Bibles. Look at Pew Bible. I say, look at verse 2. Put your finger on the text. That's because this is where the life is. This is where blessing is. This is where flourishing is. I want that blessing for all of us. I want it for all the families attached to our church. I want this blessing for Family Bible Week. Because this is the gas that fuels our engines and keeps us on the road to blessedness. So let me ask you again. What kind of time do you spend in the pit getting fueled up by the word of God. I am amazed at Christians who say they want to live the Christian life, but they want to do it on fumes. Fuel up. The psalmist describes this blessing in verse 3, and I love the imagery here. It's garden imagery. It's not racetrack. Look at verse 3. This blessed man is like a tree. Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. So let's take down the picture of the car and put up a picture of a tree. If you've been in my office, and you've probably seen this painting that my wife did. For many years it hung in our boys' room, and it now hangs in my office. Um, It says, and he shall be like a tree. Psalm 1. The idea is strength and stability. The idea, the picture is of a stable life. A life that doesn't fall when the wind of adversity blows. A a tree that's planted by streams of water doesn't run out of nourishment 
because the words of God are more satisfying than bread or honey from the comb. A tree which yields its fruit in season is a life that is productive and effective in the Lord's service. A tree whose leaf does not wither is a person who doesn't fall apart when the hard times come. Now that last phrase, whatever he does prospers, could lead somebody to think that the God-blessed life is one where there are no problems. That's a lie from the pit. Not the pit stop, but the pit of hell. There's a grave error out in the world called the prosperity gospel. And many have fallen for it. Many radio and television and internet preachers preach this. Health, wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it, word of faith, whatever you want to call it. It's this idea that if you have faith, everything's going to go your way. It's not true. Psalm 1 is not teaching the prosperity gospel. It's talking about the power of an unshakable life. It's talking about vibrancy and joy in the midst of sorrow and pain. It's talking about hope even in hopeless times. It's talking about fruit bearing even when there is no rain. Eventually and ultimately, God works everything for the prosperity and good of those who love Him and love His words like this. I want to be this tree. And I want you to be this tree as well. And I want the kids who come to our church this week to be this tree. Flourishing, prospering, growing, bearing fruit. Because of our love for God's word. Because the opposite is also true. Look at verse 4. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand at the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The wicked are those who do not love the words of God. The wicked are those who go with the flow of the crowd. The wicked are those who listen to the world's counsel, choosing their sinful paths, mocking the the holiness of God, and ignoring the word of God. Verses 4 and 5 are a warning sign at the head of that track, cautioning us to stay away from it. Because at the end of that road is destruction. In other words, the bridge is out, right? Don't go roaring down that road. The bridge is out. The psalmist says, not so the wicked. There's no blessing there. There may be temporary prosperity for those who thumb their noses at God, but not for long. God's justice will triumph and they will be destroyed. So if the blessed are like the sturdy trees... What are the wicked like? What does the the verse say? What are the wicked like? Chaff. You know what chaff is? Chaff is like the, it's like the leftovers from when you're doing farming, right? So it's the leftover dust and plant refuse that comes with the harvest. In modern farming, the chaff would be all the junk that spits out the back end of the combine as it makes its way down the field. It's the chopped up parts of the plant that are no good to anybody. In ancient farming, there were no machines for separating the good grain from the chaff. So what would happen at harvest is that the heads of grain would all be gathered and then left to dry. The good seeds of wheat and barley would all be mixed together with the husk and the shells and the stems. And so then the farmer, in order to clean his crop, would have to what? What's the word? Thresh, right. So on a windy day, he would take his dried heads of grain and he'd toss them up in the air over and over again. And as he did this, the heavier stuff would do what? Fall back down into his his basket, right? And what would happen to the light stuff, the worthless stuff? Which do you want to be? 
You want to be the solid tree? Or do you want to be literally dust in the wind? Verse 5 says more. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. In other words, judgment day is coming. And those who have not come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ by feasting on the words of God and the scriptures will not live through the judgment. When the church of the firstborn joins in heaven to sing the praises of Christ our Savior, these people will not be present. Like chaff from grain, there will be a separation of the righteous and the wicked. We just saw that. Jesus just taught that a few months ago, right? In in the Gospel of Matthew. A separation. Those that love God's words and those who do not. The two paths will diverge and the destinations will be very different. And verse 6 makes it plain. It's either or. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Number three, Kevin. Stay on the right track stay on the right track don't just run with the don't just not run with the wrong path but stay on the right track choose the path the way of righteousness because it's either or it's either flourishing or dying it's either prospering or perishing it's either winning or eternally losing now again it often doesn't seem like that seems like you're driving down the road with the radio on The world will lie to you about the path that you're on. Oh, this is good. Uh, Don't pay attention to the signs. But God's word makes it clear. The wicked will die in the judgment. If you choose that path, it ends in perishing. But the other path, the path of delight in God through his word, ends in being watched over, guided, directed by God himself in personal relationship. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. All my ways are known to you. Never out of his sight, never out of his watch care. God does not rest in the caring for his travelers on the righteous road. So stay on that track. And you do that by faith. This is not saying stay a, little, a good little boy or stay a good little girl. Keep your nose clean. Be moral. Be nice. No, this is saying trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways know Him and He will make straight your paths. Let me ask you, what track are you on? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and are following Him by faith? That's another way of talking about taking the way of the righteous. Is that the road you're on? That's the road to winning. It's the road to the good life. It's the road to blessing. Or have you been taking the path of the wicked or flirting with it? Listening to the world, standing with the world, mocking with the world? If so, today I challenge you to take a detour. To repent. That's what to repent means. To turn that U-turn. Right in the middle of the road. I challenge you to turn off of the way of the wicked and place your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Because on the cross, he took the punishment for sin and paid the penalty that sin had accrued. Listen to this. Jesus took the penalty for the way of the wicked. Right? The way of the wicked will perish. What did Jesus do? He perished. Did he deserve that? No way. 
Nobody had lived out the Psalm 1 life like Jesus. Nobody had loved the Word of God. Nobody had shunned wickedness like he did. He was on track. But he took on himself all of our wrong track. He died for us and he gives us the power of his righteousness. He lives Psalm 1 perfectly and now he gives us his perfect track record. His fulfilling Psalm 1 with his perfect life. When we trust in him and keep trusting in him. And then he helps us to stay on that right track. To keep turning right on the way of the righteous. Until we come to the finish line. Victory in Jesus our Savior forever. Amen?